0: Hi, I'm Christy Lee, the creator of Canadian True Crime. Join me for an immersive deep dive into some of the most thought-provoking true crime cases in Canada. Using facts curated from court documents, inquiry reports and news archives, I carefully unravel and analyze each case, exposing the pitfalls of the criminal justice system that everyone needs to know about. Find Canadian True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts or visit canadiantruecrime.ca.
1: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production.
2: I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Island Crime Season 2, Gone Boys. You are listening to Episode 4, The Body Count. Courtney is on the east coast of Vancouver Island in the Comox Valley. It's a spectacular part of the island peppered with gorgeous beaches and the ski hill of Mount Washington close by. The stunning Miracle Beach draws tourists and campers from across the region and beyond. In the summer of 2018, a 22-year-old man disappears from this picturesque place. It's early in the morning, about 7.30 a.m., when a man we will call EB arrives for work, he's a landscaper. EB leaves in a gray GMC work truck and drives off to a job site about 3 miles down the highway in Royston. But he never shows up to work. He sends a text at 7:33 a.m. and then nothing. This is out of character. His family and friends raise the alarm. The police ask the public for help, and the search begins. The police describe E.B. as six feet tall, weighing about 150 pounds, with shoulder-length brown hair, usually worn down. He has blue eyes and about four days of scruff on his face. He's last seen wearing a dirty brown t-shirt with colorful board shorts and beige work boots. Two days later, good news. This young man has been found... He is picked up by police in the community of Sayward, about an hour and a half further up the island in the opposite direction of where he was headed. And that is where this story should have ended. But EB's story has taken on a life of its own online. And for good reason. You see, right around the same time the young man went missing... Courtney police issue a public notice. They ask for anyone who has seen a suspicious man waving at cars on the morning EB vanished to come forward. They want anyone who was in the area while the man was there to get in touch with them. And the rumors begin to fly. Had this young man been abducted, was the man, who was allegedly waving down vehicles, involved? At the time the notice is issued, police say it is a small piece of a larger investigation. But then, crickets. I tried to speak with E.B. I've contacted friends, family, and spoken with his employer.
1: I believe the wrong number. The
3: number you have called is not assigned.
2: There is a complete wall of silence around the incident. The police too are saying little. When I first call the Sayward detachment, the officer I speak with begins to read the file while he's speaking with me. He mentions an allegation of an attempted abduction. But then he tells me I will need to contact the media spokespeople and that I should submit an access to information request, which I do. Spokesperson Constable Monica Teregni declines my request for an interview, but does say this in an email. At the conclusion of our investigation, we were unable to substantiate any sort of risk to the public. You will have noticed I have not included the young man's name in this story. If he was the victim of an abduction, I don't want to be responsible for drawing any further attention to a traumatic event. And if there was no abduction and he vanished for other reasons, he has a right to hold that information in private as well. But when criminologist Kim Rosmo asks whether there have been any attempted abductions, EB's case is the first that pops into my mind. According to RCMP statistics published each year, there have been almost 30 abductions of adult males connected with missing person investigations in the last five years in British Columbia. These are listed as stranger abductions. These events could be gang or drug-related incidents, and the statistics aren't broken down to show how many occurred here on the island. But I include this information to note that although rare, abductions are occurring. In 2020, two men are convicted on charges related to an abduction in Port Alberni the place where Brandon Kearney and a number of other men have gone missing in recent years. My husband and I talk shop often after dinner over a game of backgammon. He is a judge, and his insights on crime-related issues are helpful. I ask him about abductions and just how unusual they truly are here on the island. He tells me he has dealt with a number of abductions in the five years or so he has been on the bench. Almost all of them are related to drug debts. The experts I've spoken with all say establishing whether a pattern is occurring is key to understanding the missing men's story. By my count, at the time of writing, there are currently 19 missing men on Vancouver Island. And so, unsurprisingly, I'm not the first journalist to wonder what's going on.
1: Yeah, uh, Jeremy Nuttall. I'm a reporter at the Toronto Star, former investigative reporter for the Star Vancouver. Um, And now I mainly cover China and federal politics for the Star.
2: Jeremy is a reporter and a former colleague. He wrote about the cases in 2018. I'm curious about what drew him to the story and whether he was able to establish any kind of pattern
1: then. Our I-Unit in Toronto had gotten a a hold of a a big file um, from CPIC that was basically all of the missing persons data in Canada going back to like 1900. And we had the data people go through it, and what they found was disturbing, which is that British Columbia had way, way more missing people per capita than anywhere else in Canada, and so myself and Jesse Winter, who uh, was a journalist and photographer for Food Star at the time, um, started looking at hotspots like where people had disappeared um, by going through RCMP and other police missing persons uh, posters, reports, things like that, and we found um, you know areas, as I said, hotspots that were were showing up, and then we started looking at the people who were missing in those areas. And found similarities um, with some of them. Um, and one of those areas was Va- Vancouver Island, uh, up, the eastern, uh, up the eastern coast of the island.
2: We compare notes, catch up on each other's lives. And he tells me he still thinks about these men and the family members he spoke with.
1: One thing that I, I can't, I, I always have trouble getting used to is the reality that the person in front of you is, is, is telling you. And what stands out, you know, speaking to these mothers is that this really happened to them. Their children really went missing. They don't know where they are. And it's haunting their lives. And them to be able to talk to me about it. uh, I just think about, you know, the mental anguish that they must feel and desperation. And I just find it amazing that people going through that kind of anguish are standing right in front of me and prepared to talk about it.
2: Jeremy's right. The courage of these families is remarkable. But in this episode, I'm focused on the numbers. Is the level of disappearances here unusual? Is there a trend? The STARS investigative team found data compelling enough to assign a team back then. But... Is the data available to authorities now providing any clues? The first thing I realize is that Statistics Canada does not track missing person data. So, Canada's Missing, the RCMP's national website, feels like a good place to start. But then I quickly see that the site does not include all missing persons. Some of the missing men I'm focused on don't appear here. Canada's Missing will only host a profile when the lead investigator asks for one to be published. And the RCMP only maintains statistics on missing persons whose data is entered into the Canadian Police Information Centre database. The public can access that database if they're searching for missing bikes, boats, or guns. But only a registered law enforcement partner can access missing person files here. I actually try to register and get turned down. Canada does now have a National Centre for Missing Persons and Unidentified Remains, it's run by the RCMP. They offer specialized investigative services in support of missing persons and unidentified remains investigations. And they maintain their own national database. Hi, how are you? Uh, I am well. How are
4: you? Pretty good. You can hear me all right then?
2: I I can, yeah.
4: Well, I didn't trust my technology that I was setting up, so (laughs) I had to experiment.
2: The centre is on the other side of the country, so we arranged to meet over Zoom.
4: Yeah, My name is uh, Kevin O'Shea and I'm a uh, business architect, uh, strategic advisor with the National Centre for Missing Persons Unidentified Remains.
2: I begin by stepping back and looking at the national context, a big picture. I ask just how many people go missing in Canada each year.
4: There were about three, 33,000 adults and forty thousand children who went missing in two thousand and nineteen. So that's a total of seventy-three thousand uh, plus persons. Uh, now this represents uh, about seventy-two thousand plus cases because some people go missing together, particularly uh, uh, children often are you know run away together or whatever. These numbers are pretty well the same year after year around the the sixty to seventy-five thousand mark. Um, It doesn't represent the number of unique persons because some persons will go missing many times in the course of one year. Uh, Those are the frequent runaways. Uh, So in the above figures, uh, the 73,000, they're counted each time because each incident is another investigation. So they're counted each time in that figure.
2: That's a huge number. uh, And probably people hearing that would be kind of surprised or startled at that number. But of those... Can you talk about what just how many end up being resolved?
4: Yes, a good case in point is, is the case of the 2019. So I said there were just over 72,000 cases. Uh, by the end of 2019, 97.3% of those were actually resolved. And by the end of October this year, 2020, uh, only 261 were still open so that's less than 0.3% is, are still open it, it, the the data overall shows that only about 2% of all cases will reach their 1 year anniversary of the date last seen and still be open
2: it's easy to be overwhelmed by the flow of missing people reports showing up in the news and in social media but almost all of those cases get resolved unlike the missing men I'm considering in this podcast, who are simply gone. When police officers fill out the forms that get fed into the database, they try to capture the circumstances in which the men have disappeared. Here's how the categories of missing break down.
4: The largest single group by any stretch of the imagination are the runaways, they constitute about 52% of the total cases in the database are runaways. So it's around 50% of the 2019 cases. The next largest category is unknown, and that's about 36%.
2: What is generally the most likely reason someone, a case would appear?
4: Unfortunately, it's uh, the largest categories are unknown and other <laughs> right. uh, for the for the adults. The, then there's a wandered off category, and then there's accident. There, there's a, a, a large uh, number of, of accidents uh, recorded. This is people, you know, falling off of boats or disappearing on hunting uh, expeditions and that sort of thing.
2: Those categories, unknown, other, wandered off, so vague, reflecting the uncertain nature of this behavior And reflecting the subjective and historic approaches different law enforcement agencies in various parts of the country may take when inputting the data. Getting a handle on Canada's national missing person problem is helpful, but I'm anxious to focus
4: on the West Coast. Generally, I try to reduce numbers uh, when I'm trying to compare uh, to per capita statistics. And on that basis, in 2019, BC had more missing adults per capita than other provinces.
2: Is it possible to break down the numbers for Vancouver Island?
4: No, it's not. Okay. No, no. It uh, it would be be difficult. We we break the the occurrences down by province, but uh, after that, they're broken down by by agencies and this sort of thing. So we'd have to compile to figure out which agencies are part of Vancouver Island.
2: There has been, of course, a focus on missing indigenous women in this country, but what, what do the numbers tell us about how many men are reported missing?
4: Well, it's interesting you should, should ask that question because uh, overall, there are more men missing than women and there's more adults missing than children. People always think of female children as probably the, the most likely to, uh, to go missing, but in actual fact, it's uh, adult males is the most common missing category. And you you need to look at figures as well, uh, whether you're talking about the number of of incidents in the year or the number that are still open. So if we look at the open cases that are open over all the years and still open, missing adult males is the largest category. That piece
2: of information that adult males are the most likely to go missing and remain missing is interesting grist for the mill. But is it possible to do the kind of qualitative drilling down into the data that would be required to know whether the cases here could be connected? So as part of my research, uh, uh, as you know, I'm I'm looking at some cases of missing men here on Vancouver Island. Uh, some of the criminologists that I've been talking to have, you know, s- suggested to me that The only real way I can get a sense as to whether or not anything unusual is happening on the island would be to know kind of like a baseline of what the normal numbers are and then be able to compare what has been happening in recent years. Is, Is that the kind of thing you can use the database to do? Is that kind of analysis possible?
4: I, I hate to to speculate on what could be possible. I, I think the data may be there to do that. Um, I'm not sure when you talk about a baseline of what is normal. Uh, I don't know. There is such a thing as, as normal. Over time, things change a little bit. Um, but a lot of the anomalies you might be looking for may be too fine to actually notice in the general flux of one year over the other.
2: If this kind of database um, had been around, say, when women were going missing in the downtown east side for years, would that kind of thing have showed up in the database?
4: That is a a good question. The database uh, has built into it uh, algorithms. It does automated checking all all the time. Every time a new information comes in, it's always checking. Uh, and it has an algorithm looking for uh, patterns of that sort, uh, perpetrator patterns. Um, and we've, we've tried to hone the algorithm over time. Uh, the difficulty is trying to base it on the information that's there. Uh, and the difficulty is, is to imagine for a, a particular woman who went missing on the east side, what is it that that makes her case similar to another woman who went missing on the east side Versus the hundreds of other women who went missing for other other reasons, not not a particular perpetrator. That's very very difficult, and and a lot of the information that we would would like to have just isn't available. Um, it's it's just not uh, necessarily recorded. Uh, so f- for example, the the fact that they they may have been street workers, or that they may all have met the same person at one time, that information is not in the database.
2: So you mentioned um, an an algorithm that has been created for this kind of thing. Ha, has it actually been successful at this point yet? Has it, has it,
4: yeah. It, it depends on how you define successful as, as one of the persons who helped create the algorithm. I think, I think it's doing as, as good as it could. I'm, I'm happy with it, but it's, um it's not, it's certainly not, Caught any 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 perpetrators for the for the reasons that I I I cited the the information just isn't there, so yes it can pick up similar occurrences is it finding uh, perpetrators uh, that it needs a, a much finer comb to to find those.
2: This database is relatively new; it became operational in 2014, part of the response to the growing concern over missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada how data on missing persons in Canada is captured and accessed by the public continues to come under scrutiny. A recent report by the Office of the Federal Ombudsman for Victims of Crime noted that it remains difficult to get a clear picture of how many people remain as long-term missing in Canada. I try to think of other agencies who keep track of the missing And recall hearing about a new effort by the BC Coroner's Service to match unidentified human remains with missing people.
0: Gone Boys, we'll be right back after a quick break. Hi, I'm Christy Lee, the creator of Canadian True Crime. Join me for an immersive deep dive into some of the most thought provoking true crime cases in Canada. Using facts curated from court documents, inquiry reports, and news archives, I carefully unravel and analyze each case, exposing the pitfalls of the criminal justice system that everyone needs to know about. Find Canadian True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts or visit canadiantruecrime.ca.
5: My name's Ian Charlton. Uh, my title at the BC Coroner Service is Spatial Information Analyst. So I work within uh, the Special Investigations Unit where we, our main aim is to identify uh, all unidentified human remains in the province. So my job as a spatial information analyst primarily is to uh, investigate these cases and make associations between these unidentified remains and missing persons uh, using geographical information systems.
2: Ian and his coroner colleagues have put together an interactive map of what they call UHRs, unidentified human remains. Could some of these remains belong to the men missing here on the island?
5: Essentially an interactive online map that displays specific information on all of the active unidentified human remains cases within the province, as well as the general location on where the remains were found. So these locations are generally represented by circular points, and when the user clicks on a point, information for that case at that location is brought up in a pop-up window. So generally, the aim of this whole project was to bring all of this information to the public of BC into one centralized system where they can easily navigate their way through the case information from a spatial and visual perspective, uh, hopefully sparking something if they recognize any of the unidentified and in turn contact us so we can investigate it further so essentially the main purpose is to generate new leads for all of these cold cases that we work on and to ultimately help us identify these these people
2: they're points on a map but they're mm-hmm. they're humans of course someone's yes, of course. someone's son's family can you just in general talk about the the range of remains we're talking about both in terms of time and and gender.
5: If you look at the map, uh, the points are uh, characterized by gender. And as you can see, there's, there's a lot more known males, um, unidentified males, than there are females, um, whatever the reason that might be for. Uh, there was also some unknowns. So the unknowns are ones that we have not yet done DNA analysis for. In terms of time, they stretch back to... Uh, 1953 is the oldest one which is the the famous babes in the woods case in Stanley Park and the most recent, oh, most recent ones up until uh, up until last year i believe 2019
2: but what happens when an unidentified body is first found that's when Ian's colleague Laura steps in
3: my name is Laura Yazegan i am the identification specialist for the BC coroner service
2: i have this idea that DNA is everything in these cases, but it turns out I'm wrong. DNA
3: actually isn't where we start. That's, it's kind of our, that actually maybe is even our last point of analysis. Like we do a lot of traditional investigation first when an unidentified body is recovered um, from, you know, checking fingerprints, uh, going, we have the Our partners in policing go through recent missing persons reports. Um, There's, you know, we can identify people using their tattoos uh, or medical devices as well. And those are all things that can be done much more kind of quickly and in the moment when a body is discovered. If we have a case that is really, truly unidentified, we don't have any idea who the individual is. um, And that happens more often when we find uh, skeletal remains, like, you know, already without sort of any, any tissue or hair or anything that we can use for further description, those cases are the ones that tend to remain unidentified for longer. And those are the ones that the DNA is really important for because if we don't have any, any other descriptors, it's kind of the only way that we're able to match them up with the person who might be reported missing.
2: So, Laura, you mentioned uh, an early part of your work involves connecting with uh, police as to missing persons. Can you just tell me a little bit more about how that works? Definitely, uh, we have a—it's a really a unique
3: program here in BC that is is not present anywhere else in Canada, as far as I'm aware. And we have a really close partnership with missing persons investigators in. Um, the BC Police Missing Persons Centre and also in the the different uh, districts, RCMP districts in BC and the municipal detachments as well, because they all have their own missing persons departments and coordinators. And we have a form that was created by um, the coroner who started our unit, actually, that's called the Missing Persons Query Form. And by provincial policing standards, any missing person who's been missing for longer than um i believe it's 90 days and is believed to be deceased not just you know having skipped town to avoid arrest or something like that um they're required to fill in this form and provide the information to us that we would need in order to match what their missing person with any unidentified remains it also requires that uh dental information from missing persons is Seized from dentists and sent to the BC Forensic Odontology research team, who maintain
2: the provincial dental database of both missing persons and unidentified remains. The Unidentified Remains Interactive Viewer is a really fascinating map, but it doesn't include the information about missing people. Those
3: cases are not our investigations. So, those cases are police investigations, but we use that information on an internal database we we go at it from both sides. So when we find a, a set of unidentified remains, we will query missing persons to determine if any of them could be associated. And then from the other side of it, we get these missing person query forms from the police which we then use to check and see if that person could be any of our existing unidentified remains.
2: It's reassuring to hear about the coordination happening between various agencies and individuals. The police the coroners, the dentists, all working together to try to solve missing people and unidentified remains cases. Mostly right now I'm talking to uh, family and friends of men who have gone missing and for many of them they imagine a world where their loved ones are just simply lost forever because BC is just filled with forests and rivers and ocean and, you know, just the possibilities are kind of endless in terms of where people could be. Uh, you know, is there anything you would want to say to to those people about the work that you're doing and and maybe even if you want to point to any um,
3: successes? I can't imagine what it's like to have a missing relative like that, Have to know that your son is missing and you know, might not ever be found. That, that just must be the most difficult thing to live with. And it's absolutely true. BC is has so much wilderness and so much, you know, water and open space that it's unfortunately entirely possible that some of these people just will never be located. But we've recently had a couple of cases where, again, the DNA has been incredibly important to us and actually, you know, confirmed an ID where maybe a person wasn't reported missing.
5: Just jumping quickly on that last one, just to kind of echo it for, you know, families that are missing loved ones at the moment. I think uh, in never lose hope. I think we, especially in BC, uh, we have a great infrastructure in place that if these people... Um, unfortunately are found uh, say in the wilderness or or wherever by by hikers or by by the public that we have the infrastructure in place to hopefully quickly resolve uh, resolve the cases and so say we found well say we found there were seven unidentified found last year so they are being found, and um as I said, I think we have we have the tools in place to to hopefully you know bring these people bring these people home
2: but What about those UHRs, those people who are not linked to a missing person file? We have a long-term storage facility, a mortuary facility
3: that we use that uh, we can store remains in. Um, We also have access to a temporary interment plot um, at Mountain View Cemetery in Vancouver, which was built specifically for this purpose, to be able to hold uh, unidentified bodies for kind of a a longer amount of time. In the past, unfortunately, um, a lot of times it kind of seemed like people said, well, you know, in 1975, if I can't solve this, no one's going to solve it. And they just, they cremated the remains, which has left us in a really bad position because we know that we have an unidentified body that was found in 1975. And we have quite a lot of information, but we have no way of getting a DNA sample from it, for example. So it's likely that that case might never be solved. Um, Luckily, in a lot of the cases, they actually buried the remains at different cemeteries all around BC, wherever they happen to be located, and we've been working on a project um, this last couple of years that's been going forward to exhume all the cases, the unidentified remains, where we don't have DNA samples to try and get those samples, get them into our system, so we'll hopefully be able to resolve some of those cases.
2: A long term storage facility, a temporary internment plot. All of these remains lie waiting for someone to identify them. They will not be properly laid to rest until we know who they are. This news is both heartening and disturbing at the same time, and the notion that historic unidentified remains could be unearthed in the future in order to harvest DNA is similarly encouraging and unsettling. But it's hard not to be impressed with their energy and commitment. And a confession. I considered a career as a coroner a while back. I find their work absolutely fascinating. And I'm not the only one. As I comb through online forums for information about the missing, I realize there is someone else who has taken an active interest in tracking these cases. Meet Nova.
6: I'm 30 years old. I live on Vancouver Island. Uh, I'm a dominatrix, so I've always been sort of not exactly in the mainstream. And I've always had... An interest in crime, in unsolved cases, and looking at the cases here, seeing one person going missing, oh, it's unfortunate, seeing two, oh, that's strange, three, four, five, six with missing vehicles, it's, it just really jumps out at me.
2: Yes, you heard that correctly. Nova is a dominatrix. And here's the thing. She is also a skilled amateur map maker and data analyst. I meet Nova on Reddit. She has posted in a forum discussing the possibility of an active serial killer on Vancouver Island. Most of the people engaged in the conversation share articles, opinions, and theories. But Nova has decided to take an active role.
6: I've started looking at cases from 2000 onward simply because I had to pick a start date to really dive in. And what I've done is I've indicated the last known location of the gentleman, whether they were on foot in a vehicle um, or if it was unknown in certain cases. Then I've also marked on the map if their vehicle has been found, what condition it's been found in. The map markers also have their photos information from news articles crime stoppers missing persons anything I can sort of find for details I've also gone ahead and marked any persons of interest as well as any locations where remains have been recovered and I've since we've spoken I've actually gone ahead and sorted them a little more in depth I've created categories for gentlemen aged 15 to 35, 35 to 50, and 50 onward, just to attempt to sort of see if there are more similarities that we can isolate just by turning off certain pointers on the map.
2: Nova and I spend some time playing around with her original map. She is pleased by the response she's getting already to her post.
6: The feedback that I got on Reddit was, was really encouraging the fact that people had checked it out and had volunteered more information about other cases that I was able to look into. I think I added about 15 people. I spent of all night editing the map, actually, because I just got so much more information. I added about 15 more cases just, just today. And it was from people reaching out and mentioning, oh, I've heard that there are people missing in this area. I've heard there are people missing in this area. And it isn't until I really... Google it and dig around that I can actually find anything if it's four or five, six years old. The The missing person's place is usually the last place I gather information because they have the barest, barest detail. Uh-huh. Um, oftentimes it'll say the city that they disappeared from, but the more I dig into various news articles, it, it tells you like the, the block radius, it tells you what parking lot they were in, it tells you what direction they were headed, And that is important
2: to know. I tell Nova about the coroner's unidentified human remains map, and she manages to layer that information onto her map as well. I've posted a link to Nova's map on Twitter. Coroners, RCMP, a handful of journalists and citizens like Nova are all approaching the missing men cases in different ways each bringing their own expertise and perspective. I'm still unclear as to whether the numbers I've observed represent a trend. A comparison over other time periods could prove helpful, as could a comparison with a similar sized jurisdiction. But then differences in geography, an increase in population, a higher concentration of people with disabilities could distort the picture. The answer, I believe, is more likely to be found in examining what binds these men together. And one thing I know for certain, these men were all in their own different ways misfits.
1: You just need to be a an eighth of a turn you know, off to not fit in society. So he became somewhat isolated, I guess. Uh, he spent a lot of time in the woods.
2: I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Island Crime Season 2, Gone Boys. And you can help raise the profile of the missing men's story here on Vancouver Island by rating and reviewing this podcast. Hey, it's Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. I'm here to tell you how to get ad-free content and early access to episodes right now. All you need to do is subscribe to Island Crime Plus on Apple Podcasts. When you subscribe, you get to be first to hear new episodes, all ad-free. Pop down into the show notes for a direct link to subscribe. If you like Island Crime, you'll love Island Crime Plus.